Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by pastoral resident Ian Mulraney. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for gathering us here tonight to read the letter of Paul to the Romans, to gather together as your body, to seek to be with you. We pray that your spirit can meet us here, to open up our minds and our eyes, to know what it means to be your people, to be your family. Just help this sermon um, be used for your glory, God. Help our time together and afterwards be edifying, be fellowship building, um, be reflective of who Jesus is and who you are. We love you and we're excited to learn from you during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Hi, everybody. Hi, Zoom. How are you guys? We are trekking away at Romans again. Um, continuing picking up where Gary had left off after finishing chapter four last week. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with this tradition. Uh, but for me, in my past church experience, the book of Romans has been used a lot in giving altar calls. Anyone familiar with altar calls, uh, a preacher will give a sermon, um, talk about why you need Jesus and the consequences of not having Jesus and then invite people to usually raise their hand or come to the front. Uh, and so in Romans tradition, I'm actually going to do an altar call tonight and invite you to um, invite Jesus to come into you. But in the past, usually the sermons invite have you invite Jesus into your heart. I want you tonight to invite Jesus into your amygdala. Now, for those of you who don't know what an amygdala is, it's part of your brain at the base of your, or at the top of your brainstem. 
and is what we currently call the fear center of your brain. It's where uh, neuroscientists have found the fight or flight response happens um, when we're faced with danger. Uh, so that's where I'm going to invite you to invite Jesus into you today, into your amygdalas. Um, but before I get into all of that, I want you to know that the point of the message tonight is that I want you to understand that we have peace with God through Jesus and that can transform our fear into hope. That's good news. But I gotta be honest with you, uh, for me and for most of my life as a Christian, I've had a lot of fear, um, both just living my normal day to day and towards God. And there's a reason for that. Talk to me about who God is. Is God all powerful? I can't hear up here. Is God all powerful? All right. Thanks. Is God all knowing? Yes. Is there anything that God cannot do? Then why does so much bad stuff happen? If God has all this power and all this knowledge, why are so many of us faced day by day with suffering, with anguish, um, with tragedies and traumas that happen and afflict. I doubt there's a single person in this room who has made it this far in your life and doesn't have an emotional traumatic event that has happened to you. If God can do everything, why does this happen? And so this is why I'm afraid. I remember being a child and I was on a beach vacation with my family and we were staying in the hotel and the one night we saw out our window over the ocean, two or three helicopters with searchlights on scanning the waters. And we had found out that a little girl had drowned. I was made, I think I was eight years old at the time. And I was the big brother to four younger sisters. And so I remember the next day as we were getting ready for the beach, I was praying, Lord, please do not let my sisters drown. And we got to the beach and they went running into the surf to swim and big waves were coming. I was on the beach, God, please don't let my sisters drown. And I spent most of that day in and out of prayer, God, please don't let my sisters drown. My world had been shaken because now I learned little girls could drown in the ocean. But the rest of that vacation suddenly became one of not having fun with my family, but of fear. Because if little girls could drown, they could get hit crossing the street from the hotel to the beach by a car. When we were riding the Ferris wheel at the boardwalk, the Ferris wheel could fall apart. And I started praying in each of these situations, God, please don't let the Ferris wheel break. God, please, as we're driving home, don't let our car crash, help mom and dad drive safe. I became scared of my loved ones dying. And this became a pattern for me that I took home from that vacation that became part of my normal day-to-day -day life. Because as I was afraid of my loved ones dying, soon I became afraid of me dying. 
And then soon I became afraid of more important things like me getting bad grades in school. <laughs> and I became afraid of um, what if I don't get the role in the musical or don't get on the sports team. And suddenly I was praying probably a hundred times a day, these short little prayers of God, please make sure this bad thing doesn't happen. God, please make sure uh, I'm safe from this. Help me do this. Help me get a good grade. And my theology became one of fear-based appeasement to God because now it became, if bad things happened, I must not have prayed right or I must have done something wrong. I was scared of suffering. And then I went to church camp and I became scared of hell because I heard an altar call that talked about how much God despised sin and how his wrath was coming for humanity. And I realized how bad I was. And so I raised my hand at the altar call to accept Jesus as my savior, even though I would have said I was a Christian long before that. And the next year I did the same just to be safe. Jesus said, you know, talking about God has power over everything. He has power. Uh, nothing is outside his control. Jesus even says God is the only one who has power to kill our bodies and cast our souls into hell. I became terrified of dying and the afterlife. This became religious OCD, and it went on till about my sophomore or junior year of college, or not college, of high school. Um, and what ended up stopping it, funnily enough, is for a short period, I decided I wasn't going to be a Christian anymore because I just, not because I stopped believing in God, but because I did not think I could be good enough for God. See, what had happened was I had no power. If God was all powerful, I was powerless. And if I was God's enemy, he had totally conquered me. I was a prisoner of war, and each day I was begging for mercy to my conquering enemy. You know, this king who had conquered and who had all power, I was begging for mercy. Just don't destroy me. Don't destroy my loved ones, please. And it's from passages like Romans 5 where I began thinking along those lines. Uh, in, this, in these verses, Paul calls us ungodly, sinners, enemies of God who his wrath is coming towards. If this language is surprising, it's actually supposed to be and it's meant to be. Uh, Paul used it for shock value to his Jewish audience because if you were Jewish, you had never considered yourself an enemy of God before. You were part of Abraham's chosen line. If you were Jewish, you were not supposed to be sinners. You were supposed to be men of the law. But Paul cuts through all that and he, he uh, lumps everybody together, Jews and Gentiles, you're sinners, you're ungodly, you're enemies of God. <laughs> I 
It's highly offensive, it's shocking, and it's frightening if true. And so if we have an enemy, if we are, you know, going through our daily life and a lion jumps out of the woods at us, this is where our amygdala kicks in. The lion is our enemy. We either fight and punch the lion in the nose or we run as fast as we can to get away. If God is our enemy, we have a fight or flight response, right? <laughs> we either uh, flight like me, who I say, I can't do all this. This is too much. And so I hide from God and run away and say, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Or we fight God. We rage against him. We look at all the atrocities that he's committed in the Old Testament. We look at how there's tragedies and disasters going on in the world. And we become people who uh, just rage against him, talk about how if God exists, he's evil, and there probably is no God because of that, and trying to convince others why God is non-existent or is terrible. But I'm going to turn to Paul's words now. Because if we are God's enemies, and if our response is fight or flight, what does God do? I'm going to start with verse six. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Did you catch that? That last word is a key, reconciliation. If Paul is saying we are the enemies of God, he's also saying, look at what God does to his enemies. He doesn't chain them up and drag them along as prisoners. He doesn't execute them or destroy them. God dies for his enemies. Who does that? That's what Paul talks about here, right? Um, he says, like, occasionally someone will die for a righteous person or a good person. But nobody dies for wicked people. I had a teacher in school who, uh, when we were doing school shooter drills, and we were training, like, what to do in case someone comes into school with a gun, I remember he told our class, he's like, ideally, I want to be able to tell you that I would take a bullet for any of my students. But until that time comes, I don't know what I would do. So this is why you have to know what, how to take care of yourselves. 
He was brutally honest. This is what this is saying. In our heads, and this is actually true of the Greek culture that Paul was writing to, the Greeks held up as noble people who would um, save the lives of heroes in their time who would die on the sword. But there actually wasn't very many cases of that happening. Jewish people at the time actually thought you were foolish if you chose to die for somebody else. And this is how Christ, this is how God loves us. That we're his enemies and he would choose to die. So if that's how God treats his enemies, what does it mean that he has made peace with us like in verse one? and offered us friendship and an alliance. What if, if God dies for his enemies, how much more so will he do for those who he considers are part of his team, are part of his family? This is good news. This is good news that God loves you that we don't have to fear him because God loves you. That phrase is played out so often. I want you to hear it and just think about what it means. God loves you. And so, if God loves us, we have no reason to be afraid anymore. Our fear can be transformed into hope. The reason I ended up coming back to following Jesus, which, like I said, it didn't take a lot of uh, intellectual arguments, because I already believed that none of this could come into existence without a God. But it took conversations with my dad, where my dad sat me down and just talked with me about grace. I remember even at that time being skeptical of like, I don't know, it feels like you could still get it wrong and be doomed to hellfire. But it was opening my heart up to knowing that God is gracious, that Those he counts as his enemies are those he would go to the cross for. That began awakening this hope inside of me. And so we have this middle section of this passage um, where the things I was afraid of, my sister's drowning, car accidents, failing tests or failing my driver's test, uh, (laughs) the things that were just parts of everyday life that I thought if they had a negative outcome meant I wasn't on God's side. Paul says, no. Verse three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think 
I've seen so many of us, including myself, try to live our lives in the best possible way that keeps us from experiencing personal suffering. And I'm not saying run out and make martyrs of yourself, but what Paul is saying, and he's saying it because he's pointing to the life of Christ himself, is that suffering does not mean God is punishing you. Sometimes the opposite, sometimes you'll end up suffering because you're the only one standing with God when the culture or the world around you is against him. So suffering is not a sign that you are not with God because look at Christ. Look at how he died on a cross. If that's not suffering, I don't know what is. God does not ask us to do anything he doesn't do himself. And so when we go through trials, when we experience loss of loved ones, when we experience evictions, when we experience financial hardships, as we go through the trials of life, we gain endurance and we learn the next time how to persevere through that. And as we endure, we gain character, we gain patience and love and humility because we know that God is taking care of us. It wasn't until I had financial hardships um, and watched God provide for me month after month after month when I didn't know where money was going to come from that I learned to trust God with my money. Before that, I was clinging on to how am I going to pay the bills? What do I need to do to have enough income this month? And when that was taken away from me and I needed to rely on God, I watched how he provided other people. I watched how um, through grace, uh, without me having to ask, my rent was cut. All these things happened that made me say, okay, I guess God does have my finances and I can trust him with that. As we go through trials and we endure, we learned and we can become people who have that faith in God. And as we have faith in God, we have hope in God that he is really who he says he is, that evil does not have the final say, and that one day he is coming again to make all things new and right. And so that is why we must accept Jesus into our amygdalas because we cannot be people who are fear-based fight or flight against God or fight or flight against others. If God loves his enemies, then he asks us to do the same. If the culture is going to hell in a handbasket, we're not allowed to tuck ourselves away, build a community with walls and fences that keeps us sheltered from them because they need to know that there's a God who loves them and he sends us out. In the same way, it doesn't mean when we go out, we sharpen our swords and draw battle lines. It means we go out washing feet, feeding, praying, loving. And if we suffer because we're doing that, come what may. We can do that because we have hope that God loves the people that we might hate. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. 
And so I want us to end with just thinking about two truths here. Um, the first is that God can be scary. He is all powerful. He's the creator of the sun, which I dare you to stare at it for five minutes, or if you get close enough to touch it, it'll destroy you or your retinas. And God made that, right? The person who made that has to have some more power than the thing itself. God made tigers with their sharp teeth and mighty roars. God created the energy that's used in atom bombs. These are, he's the originator of all these things which are terrifying and destructive. But God is love. God does not delight in the destruction of the wicked. That's from Ezekiel chapter 33. But he's patient. He wants all people to live as he wants them to live. He wants everyone to be in his family. He is our father and no father longs for the death of their child. He sends his reins on the wicked and the just. God is love. It, it might be a cliche, but I love this analogy from C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, when Aslan is coming and the Pevensey children are asking Mr. Beaver about uh, Aslan, the lion, the ruler of Narnia, um, they say, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe, no, but he's good. That's our God. He is powerful. We can stand in awe and amazement of him. And when we be still, we can think about how mighty he is. And we can do it without fear, like sitting on the beach and watching the sunset over the ocean. because he loves us. And he showed that by having Christ die for us. The second truth I want us to end with is that if we're going to follow Christ, it's going to require transformation. And so I'm going to call from the altar for you to accept Jesus into your amygdala, but I'm not going to have you raise your hand or come up to uh, the trembling seed or whatever it was called in the 18th, 19th century. Because fallen Christ is so much more than a one-time second. You know, it's, it's more than just a raising your hand in a pew. This is good for breaking up lactic acid, but following Christ requires a life change, not just a, I'll do this. So if you're serious to know Christ more, this is what discipleship is. It means being in community. It means repenting, changing from your sins. And if you wanna make a public declaration of faith, I would encourage you to talk to Gary about being baptized rather than just raising your hand in a pew here, um, because that has a lot more spiritual significance and meaning. As we follow Christ, our lives are transformed, the ways we interact with others are transformed, and our fears can be transformed.
into hope. Before we go into reflection time, I'll read the first verse of chapter five once more. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So take some time. What does what would it look like for you to ask Jesus to come into your amygdala tonight? And I have a couple things to think about. One is, are you in fight or flight mode with God? Are you battling God right now? Or are you running away and hiding from him? If so, take this knowledge to heart. You have peace with him through the suffering Christ. Rest now in this moment in the knowledge that God loves you. Think of the ways that you might be living that he might not be all that thrilled about and how you can repent to show your love for him. And if you really want to, again, talk to Gary about being baptized. But are you in fight or flight mode with people? Who are the people that you are exhausted to love right now or are actively hating? Who are your enemies? We're to love our enemies as God loves his. <laughs> that might mean dying for them. So I want you, if, if you think that your fight or flight response is towards others, towards other human beings made in God's image, think of who that might be and pray for that person or persons. Then plan a way to go out of your way to love them this week to go out of your way to love them this week because Christ loves you. And if you are just terrified and cannot grasp the idea that our fear can be transformed into hope, just know God loves you. Know that grace is not something you can earn, that no matter if you pray 50 times a day, 100 times a day, 5,000, that doesn't make you any closer to God because he made the first move. He already accepted you. He just wants you to know that, to love him, to love others. If you're so scared of God, if you're so scared because you've been through suffering and hardships this year and think God is petty and wants to punish you, just have the image of God holding you like a mother comforts a weeping child. Know that you have peace. Know that he is not out to get you. Know that his enemies, God doesn't even hate his enemies enough without dying for them. Like there is no hate in God's love. Have your fear transformed into hope tonight. So are you afraid of God? Think and meditate and pray that he loves you. Are you afraid of people? Who can you go out of your way to love this week? And are you just afraid? Christ has died for you. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.